Last week in our study through the Bible, we looked at the account where Elisha and his servant were surrounded by an enemy army, and the servant panicked, obviously, when he looked up and saw all the horses and chariots, and Elisha prayed that God would open his eyes, and when he looked up again, he saw the chariots of fire and the horses and We talked about that invisible spiritual realm that's all around us and how important it is that we pray for God to open our spiritual eyes, that we don't go through life blind and only looking at and responding to and depending on the physical things in this world. And as we go through uh, 2 Kings over, continue this over the next few weeks, it becomes a very difficult book to teach, and I'll share more about this next week just because of the point that we're at. But I wanted to share just a few things that happen, some key things that happen after what we just looked at. By the way, God gave Elisha a tremendous victory over that entire army, and you can pick up uh, on that story yourself. But sometime after that, this uh, severe famine sweeps through the land, and it's, it's so severe. And I, I almost even hate to say this in a nice setting like this today, but it's the facts. It's, it's so severe that God's people turn to cannibalism. You know, it's staggering to see the depravity of mankind and the depths that we can sink to. And all of that happened because they had turned away from God. And God said, well, I'll let you have, I'll let you have your own way then. And it was such a, a sad time. You remember the Shunammite woman we looked at a few weeks ago? Um, Elisha warned her that a famine was coming, and so she and her son um, fled town for seven years. They came back and they had to make a request to the king to get their house back. Remember that room they built on for Elisha? All that was gone for seven years. And they came back and they they were able to get their house back. So there's a lot going on. And then we see that Queen Jezebel, who we looked at a month or two ago, her and her husband Ahab. Ahab has already died. He was killed with that random arrow shot by a random soldier in a random direction during war. And it was his time to go, and God took him out. And his wife Jezebel has been living on, and this, you know, this wicked woman who spent her reign on the throne, putting the prophets of God to death. Always remember that everybody's going to have a time when it's their time to go. And we see in gruesome detail the death of Jezebel. She's thrown out of a high window. Uh, I won't even go into the rest of the details, but she dies in a really horrific way. But here's the thing. She dies in exactly the way God said she would years earlier. Remember, I've told you, according to the word of the Lord, this and this happened according to the word of the Lord. And that's how it still is today. So now, in 2 Kings chapter 11, you can grab your Bibles and turn there, we're introduced to another woman named Athaliah, and she is the daughter of Ahab and Jezebel. And as I said, from this point on, I'm going to to try to um, create some charts and things to help us keep all this straight. It gets pretty complicated in the the remaining chapters of of 2 Kings. There are just so many people named, so many kings, so many prophets, so many individuals. Many of them have the same name. A lot of them have names that sound the same. And so we've got to pay real close attention now 
going forward. But I put this little chart together here just to <clears throat> kind of help you visualize this. You can see there that Athaliah is one of the children. She's the daughter specifically of Ahab and Jezebel. And then on the next slide, you can see that Athaliah <clears throat> married King Joram. That's also, yours may say Jehoram, same thing, just like we're going to see Joash. It's also called Jehoash. It would be like Pete and Peter, or Doug and Douglas. Same, same person, just different ways to, to call their name. So you can see here, um, Athaliah, the daughter of Ahab and Jezebel, married King Joram, and they had a son named Ahaziah. Everybody got that straight so far? <clears throat> it, gets, it gets worse. I'm, I'm trying to help here. I don't know if you can read that or not. I hope you can. It's very hard to fit all this as that chart's going to grow during the sermon. It's hard to fit all that on. So try to keep that in mind. Athaliah, the daughter of Jezebel, married King Joram. They had a son named Ahaziah. Now let's pick up in 2 Kings 11, 1. <clears throat> when Athaliah, the mother of Ahaziah, saw that her son was dead, she arose and destroyed all the royal seed, or <clears throat> all the royal heirs, all the royal offspring. Now, I, I have to pause there for a second and just wonder about something. Wouldn't you expect that verse to say, when Athaliah saw that her son was dead, she wept, she mourned, she grieved for many days. That's what a normal mother would do when she loses her son. And this verse exposes just what a cold-hearted, manipulative woman Athaliah is. She's so determined to have a position of power that she says, I'm going to elevate myself to the throne and I'm going to destroy anybody and everybody who gets in my way. Can I just tell you, power is a dangerous thing. Power in the hands of ungodly people is a terrible thing. And even as followers of Christ, I'll just tell you, you better be careful. You better be careful. You get in a position where you get some power, a lot of people turn into Barney Fife. They walk around with their chest out and telling everybody what to do, and they, they get a little power, and they just go off the rails. Power, is a very, power and money, very dangerous things. Oh, and let me just add, these royal heirs that she puts to death are her grandchildren. She murders her own grandchildren because she's so power-hungry. She's determined to put herself on that throne and make a name for herself, and she puts to death her own grandchildren. Now, what Satan is doing here through Athaliah, we, we must always look, try to look for the spiritual that's taking place along with what we can see in the physical, as we talked about last week. This is not just a random woman killing random people. This is very specific. <clears throat> Satan is working through Athaliah, and he's attempting once again to completely wipe out David's royal line to the Messiah, Jesus. This is not the first time Satan has tried this. You remember way back when Moses was born. <clears throat> Pharaoh issued an order that all Hebrew baby boys had to be put to death. Moses would have been killed also if he had not been hidden away. God preserved him and preserved the coming Messiah. And that wasn't the last time Satan would try this. Later on, a man named Haman, who was just a devil of a person, made it his goal in life 
to completely exterminate the Jews from the face of the earth. But again, God spared them through a young woman named Esther. Later on still, Jesus himself, when he was born, you may remember they had to rush him off in the middle of the night off to Egypt because King Herod had issued an order that all baby boys were to be put to death. Years later, can I say it? Satan inspired a psychopath named Adolf Hitler to wipe all the Jews off the face of the earth. Don't you find that odd? Don't you find it odd? Why the Jews? Why are people trying to get rid of the Jews? Why not Scandinavians? Why not New Zealanders? I'm serious. Is it possible? Is it maybe just possible that the Bible is right? I'll leave that for you to think about. This plot to kill the line to the Messiah goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden. When God cursed the serpent and he said to him, I'll put enmity, that means hostility or rivalry, I'll put enmity between you and the woman, between your seed and her seed, offspring. So this battle is going to be one that goes on and on and on. That's the first prophecy in the Bible, and it's referring directly to the coming Messiah through the Jewish people. And listen, from that time on, Satan has been on the warpath, trying to destroy the Jews to prevent salvation from coming to the nations through the promised Messiah named Jesus. We must not forget that. But that prophecy got even more specific as time went on because we're told that the Messiah, the Savior, had to come from the tribe of Judah and from the line of David. You say, why? Well, there's a lot of reasons. One of them is, centuries later, when Jesus shows up on the scene, can I just tell you, he was not the first person to rock up and say he was the Messiah. There were many others before him, false messiahs. So there had to be some test, some proof that the true Messiah could be measured against this long, long list of things, and he had to meet every single one. Two of those were, he had to come from the tribe of Judah, he had to come through the line of King David. And after Athaliah killed all her own grandchildren to make sure no one could stand in her way to take the throne, there was only one survivor left. Only one grandbaby left. You know, it strikes me again that she was so, she was so cold-blooded that as she's having her grandchildren murdered, she doesn't, even, she doesn't even go and give them a proper burial. She doesn't realize as she's counting, there's one missing. She has no clue. It's just an act she had carried out. Heartless. Totally detached. She had murdered all the other royal heirs, and at this point in history, it's as though the line to the Messiah is hanging by a thread. It looked very much like the Davidic line would come to an end, and the promise of God about a king who would sit on David's throne forever would come to nothing. But Athaliah wasn't successful. Maybe I should say Satan wasn't successful in this attempt. As we'll see, they missed one, a little baby named Joash. Verse 2. But Jehoshaphat, now here's another woman we're introduced to, Jehoshaphat, the daughter of King Joram, sister of Ahaziah, took Joash, 
the, the baby, about a year old or less, took Joash, the son of Ahaziah, and stole him away from among the king's sons who were being murdered. And they hid him and his nurse in the bedroom from Athaliah so that he was not killed. Verse 3, and he was hidden with her in the house of the Lord, that's the temple, for six years while Athaliah reigned over the land. Okay, let's, let's expand that family tree just a little bit as we go to the next slide there. Now we're introduced to a woman named Jehoshaphat who's the daughter of Athaliah, the granddaughter of Ahab and Jezebel. It's interesting, though, that sometimes in life, even when a child has evil parents, they can still turn out great by the grace of God. This is the story of Jehoshaphat. She has an evil mother, evil grandmother, and yet she turns out to be a a truly God-loving woman. So she's the daughter of, of Athaliah, and, and she's the aunt of Joash, okay? So her brother there, Ahaziah, is the father of Joash. Joash is the only one not murdered, so that makes her uh, the aunt. <clears throat> now let me emphasize again that the promised Savior had to come through the line of David. So if Athaliah had killed Joash, the line of David would have come to an end right then and there, and the Messiah could not have been born. Why? Well, if we go to the next slide, I think you can see it a little more clearly. David, all the way down, that's the red line we're following through the Bible, all the way through the Bible, following Christ, all the way to the very end. You'll see there that Joash is a descendant of David, and Jesus is a descendant of Joash. God's entire plan for salvation, I think I would be okay saying this, his entire plan for salvation depended on the survival of that baby. Satan almost succeeded here in stopping the Messiah from coming. If history doesn't play out as God said it would, then God's a liar and we cannot trust him. His word is not true. So you understand the importance of this. If one person is capable of stepping into God's plan and severing it, then God will be proven a liar. But through the the brave actions of this woman named Jehoshaphat, that little infant was rescued, sort of stolen up, the word is. And so the line from David to Jesus would live on. But here's the thing. As I said, Athaliah didn't know that Joash had survived. So, So think about this. For six years... She sat on the throne thinking the whole time that David's line was dead and that she had won. For six years, she assumed that she had gotten away with her sin. Six years. Little did she know that quietly behind the scenes, God's plan was still at work and that God always has the last word. Can I just encourage you in that today? You're in a situation today where you think God is nowhere to be found. God, we've prayed, we've cried, we've begged, we've pleaded. God, where are you? When are you going to show up? When are you going to move in this situation? We're desperate, God. Have you forgotten us? He's gone. Or maybe you're in a situation where you're running from God. You're living in sin. And you think, "Ah, I've got it made. I got away with it. 
I will tell you, God's promises are true both ways, his blessings and his judgments. They will come to pass. If you're in a situation waiting for the Lord today, can I just encourage you? I don't mean to be trite when I say this. Can I encourage you? Just hang on. Just hang on. God's plan is not dead. It's still very much working behind the scenes. What about in our day? I mean, think about all the wicked, godless people in positions of power in our world. There's Athaliah, this wicked, evil woman, murderer, sitting on the throne. She's in power for six years. I mean, I can't, I got to be careful going there, but I can't help but make the connection in our world today. Nothing really has changed, folks. Positions of power in our government and all around the world, so many of them are occupied by evil people who hate God. They think they're so mighty. They think they're totally in control that no one will ever be able to challenge their wealth and their power. I normally don't read passages this long that are sort of side passages. I kept deleting this from my notes, and God said, put it in. Okay, so if we go over a couple minutes today, it's his fault, not mine. I want you to see this. this I hope you will take encouragement from this. We're going to pause for a minute. We're going to read a couple Psalms. You guys read some Psalms today. Didn't even ask you to. Perfect. Just listen to this. Psalm chapter 2. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth take their stand and the rulers gather together against the Lord and against his anointed one. Ooh, these are some big boys. Verse 3, they say, let us break their chains. Let us cast away their cords. In other words, this religion stuff, this God stuff, it's, too, it's binding me up. I want to be free. I'm going to cast it off. Verse 4, the one enthroned in heaven laughs. The Lord taunts them. Then he rebukes them in his anger and terrifies them in his fury. And he has the last word because he says, I have installed my king on Zion upon my holy mountain. That's powerful. Isn't it so frustrating at times to to look around at all the Athaliahs who are running our world today, and, and we say, God, are they just going to get away with this forever? God, are you paying attention? Do you want to know what God says about that in Psalm 37? Watch this. Do not fret because of evildoers, for they shall soon be cut down like the grass and wither like the green herb. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land. In other words, don't run from this and try to find a better place. You're going to find trouble there too. Dwell in the land and you will be fed. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust also in him and he shall bring it to pass. He shall bring forth your righteousness as the light and your justice as the noonday. Rest in the Lord. Oh boy, rest. How many of us have found rest in the past year and a half? You can't rest in the Republican Party. You can't rest in the Democrat Party. Rest in the Lord. Rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him. Oh, I hate that. I hate doing that so much. Wait patiently for him. Do not fret because of him who prospers in his way, because of the man who brings wicked schemes to pass. Cease from anger and forsake wrath. Do not fret. This is the third time it's told us that. You think we're prone to fretting? 
Do not fret, it only leads to evil. For evildoers shall be cut off. But those who wait on the Lord, they shall inherit the earth. Yet for a little while, and the wicked shall be no more. Indeed, you will look carefully for his place, but it shall be no more. But the meek shall inherit the earth, and shall delight themselves in the abundance of peace. The wicked plots against the righteous, and gnashes his teeth at them, but the Lord laughs at him, for he sees that his day is coming. If you want some passages to help you through this insane time we're living in, I would recommend these two. Commit them to memory. Carry them with you in your heart everywhere you go and you feel that fear or anger, whatever, rising up in you. Just come back to the Word and say, God, my peace has to be in you. Christians today look at our government and, and the other world leaders, and, and I know I've been saying it myself. I've heard so many of you and so many others say, you know, how much more evil and power hungry can these tyrants possibly get? Can, can I just give you some good news this morning? They can, and they are going to get a whole lot more evil and power hungry. They sure will. If you think the past year and a half with COVID has been bad, you just wait. The things that we've seen world leaders frantically putting into place this past year, they're only the beginning of the, the tyranny that they have planned. And I'll repeat what I told you last April. I've been very quiet about this. But I'll repeat what I told you in April of last year. This is way more than just a virus. God help us open our eyes to see that. This is way more than just a virus. In fact, leaders have now come out in public and begun to state their intentions very clearly. Prince Charles, Justin Trudeau, the pretty boy in Canada, the psychopathic Klaus Schwab, leader of the World Economic Forum, and many others have plainly said the COVID pandemic has given us, and I quote, the perfect opportunity to launch the Great Reset. Sounds nice. But what does the Great Reset look like? Well, here's one ad. They're now running ads to, to put this into our psyche. When we first see it, we go, I'm never going to let that happen. But after we see it for a year, we don't even notice it anymore. That's how they work. Put that slide up. This is one of the World Economic Forum's plans for you. You'll own nothing and you'll be happy. It's called socialism. That's what they're planning. I didn't even think to bring the other one. You can look it up. This is a quote, another one of their ads. It says, the U.S. will no longer be a superpower. Really? So what are we going to be? There's another one that says, um, democracy needs a dose of Marxism. A dose of Marxism? That's like a dose of poison. Socialism, that's their plan. Oh, sounds wonderful. But I say, no thanks, fellas. I'm not going to take what you're dishing out. I'm going to keep fighting back. And I pray that God's church will do the same. With all that's happening in the world, I know it can be discouraging to, to look around at times. But let's not forget that God has said their day of judgment is coming. Right. It's coming. I'm just going to leave it right there. Because I won't go in a good direction. Well, with Queen Athaliah, 
who murdered her grandchildren and stole the throne. She thinks she's riding high. She's ruling everybody. For six long years, she thought she was running the show. But she's about to get the shock of her life. Because now we come to verse 4. In the seventh year, Jehoiada, now that's the, he's a new person now we're introduced to. He's the priest, a godly man. In the seventh year, Jehoiada sent for the commanders of hundreds and the Karaites and the guards and brought them to the house of the Lord, that's the temple, and he made a covenant with them and took an oath from them in the house of the Lord and showed them the king's son. Now, for the first time, he's going public. He and Jehoshaphat have been working together to keep this baby hidden. And in the next few verses, Jehoiada puts this, uh, this detailed plan together to arm the men and have them surround this baby. And he says, if anybody tries to get to the baby, kill them. Because he knows that when he makes this public announcement and crowns this boy as king, he knows Athaliah is going to try and kill him. Verse 11. Then the guards stood, every man with his weapons in his hand, all around the king from the right side of the temple to the left side of the temple by the altar and the house. And he brought out the king's son and put the crown on him and gave him the testimony. They made him king and anointed him, and they clapped their hands and said, Long live the king. Now, my British friends thought they came up with that phrase, but it's been around a long time. I want to point out something here quickly that I find interesting, one of those little details. In verse 12, the words gave him, when it says they gave him the testimony, the two words gave him are not in the original Hebrew text. That's why they're italicized in the King James Version. So here's how that verse actually reads. It says, And he brought out the king's son and put the crown on him and the testimony. In other words, the high priest put the crown on him, and then he put the testimony on him, on his head. What does that even mean? Well, the testimony was a copy of the law that God had given to Moses. It was the instructions that man were to turn to, to know how to live. That word testimony is used in Exodus, and it always refers to the law of God. And when a king was crowned, a copy of that law would be placed on his head to show that the king was to rule not above the law of God, but beneath it, subject to it. Wouldn't it be wonderful if we still did that when leaders took office in our country? Verse 13, when Athaliah heard the noise of the guards and the people, she came to the people in the temple of the Lord. And when she looked, there was the king standing by a pillar, according to the custom. And the leaders and the trumpeters were by the king. And the people of the land were rejoicing and blowing trumpets. And Athaliah tore her clothes and tried out, cried out, treason, treason. Isn't it interesting? She's the traitor, but she cries out treason. It's always the same. It reminds me of the scoundrels in Washington. Everything they blame the other party for, we find out later, they're the ones who've been doing it all along. Nothing has changed, folks. Liars cry foul on someone else to try to cover up their own wrongdoing. Well, we're told next that Queen Athaliah was captured. 
She was put to death. And then in verse 17, we read this. Then Jehoiada, the priest, made a covenant between the Lord, the king, and the people, that they should be the Lord's people, and also between the king and the people. Now, that covenant was what God originally gave them a long time ago, but the people had abandoned it. They had abandoned God's covenant. And so the priest is bringing them back to step one. They don't need something new. They need to get back to where they started with God. And folks, it's still true today. Whenever an individual or even a nation has abandoned the ways of God, the only way to fix it, the only way to bring revival is to return to the truth. You don't need to look for a new way. You don't need to look for a better way. You simply need to come back to the fundamental truths of God's word. And that's exactly what it's going to take for our country to get out of this mess. Nothing less. It's not going to happen through economic reform. It's not going to happen through social reform. It's not going to happen through political reform. There's only one way it will ever happen, and we find that in Malachi chapter 3, verse 7. God says, From the days of your fathers you have gone away from my ordinances and have not kept them. And then he says these beautiful words, Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. Again, in Job twenty-two twenty-three, God said, If you return to the Almighty, you will be restored. You want to know what the alternative is? Here it is, Psalm 917. The wicked shall be turned into hell and all the nations that forget God. Those are the two choices. So the people here in 2 Kings return to their covenant with God. And what happens every time people get their focus back on God? They're immediately convicted about their sin. 2 Kings eleven eighteen, And the people of the land went to the temple of Baal and tore it down. They thoroughly broke in pieces its altars and images and killed Matan the priest of Baal before the altars, and the priest appointed officers over the house of the Lord. It's two important steps in that verse. See, listen, I want you to get this. God's people had been worshiping, but they had been worshiping the wrong God. Just because you see people worshiping doesn't mean God's there. When Israel went into idolatry, they didn't begin immediately by worshiping pagan gods. They began worshiping the true God in a pagan, unbiblical way. Did you catch that? When Israel went after other gods, they didn't begin right away by worshiping pagan gods. They began by worshiping the true God in a pagan, unbiblical way. God called it burning strange fire on his altar. They didn't burn strange fire to another god. They were burning strange fire to Yahweh. What's the lesson here? What's the warning for us? Well, listen, if you begin worshiping God unbiblically today, you'll worship other gods tomorrow. Am I being too heavy today? I'm just so tired of what's going on. I'm just so tired of it. If you begin worshiping God unbiblically today, you'll worship other gods tomorrow. Eastern Orthodoxy, the Roman Catholic Church, these things didn't begin overnight. 
They all began by worshiping the true God in unbiblical ways. It's a very, very subtle thing. There's such a strong pull today for churches to, you know, to follow the latest church trends. I stopped going to pastor's conferences years ago because I couldn't stomach it anymore. I just, I couldn't take the rhetoric anymore. It was never, what's God doing in the lives of your people? It was never, are you a church of prayer? It was always, how many are you running? I beg your pardon? What am I, raising cows? I'm not running anybody. How many are you running? There's always something new. Always some new technique to double the size of your church. Listen, Jesus never told us to come up with a gospel that was palatable to people. He never told us to, to turn the church into an entertainment center where Christians could sit around and feel good and the lost could come and feel comfortable. Can I just remind us the gospel is not meant to make us comfortable if we're lost. It is an offense. It has to be. We're called to preach exactly the same gospel that Peter and the apostles preached at Pentecost that pierced people to the heart so badly that they fell to their knees and said, Men, brothers, what shall we do? Don't see much of that in churches anymore. It's all about feeling good. Man, I dug that service today. That was so cool. And I can just tell you what I've told you before. If this church ever goes in that direction... I will be gone so fast, it'll make your head spin. Because I am never being a part of that. And you ought not want to either. As soon as these people here in 2 Kings 11 returned to the truth, they tore down their pagan altars. Listen, revival never begins by building up. Revival always begins by tearing down. We've got to tear down the stuff in our life that is unpleasing to God. Unless you're willing to tear that down, you're going to be building on a faulty foundation and it won't stand. I read something so heartbreaking recently. You know, you hear about the great revivals of old, and God certainly did some wonderful things. But you know what? Many of those evangelists, towards the end of their life, said, it grieves me how few people remain changed long after the revival ended. See, anybody can come in and whip people up into a frenzy. We get all excited. We yell and scream and we leave thinking, whoo, God was really there. Hmm, be careful about feelings. There's some Sundays I don't feel like coming here. I don't feel like coming here because I don't really like y'all. That's a joke. It's a terrible... <laughs> I just want to make sure you're listening. <clears throat> Revival begins by tearing down what dishonors God. Verse 18 says clearly the two steps I told you about. First, they tore down the places of false worship. Then they built up the house of the Lord and put it back in order. And the one who initiated this return to God was the priest named Jehoiada. Jehoiada in Hebrew means the one who knows Jehovah. The church today doesn't need more cool pastors. 
The church today needs more priests who truly know Jehovah. That's what it needs. Well, the end of verse 19 says, And Joash sat on the throne of the kings, seven years old. Now, this is not uncommon. You can look through history, look through the Encyclopedia Britannica, whatever. You'll see countries all around the world where babies, children, were made king or queen. Mary, queen of Scots, if memory serves me right, was crowned queen when she was six days old. And of course, they have advisors around her who actually lead for a while, but it's all about putting the right person in place to establish that beachhead sort of thing. So little Josiah, seven years old, is crowned. He's had the testimony put on him as well. He's crowned king. And with those words... God's promise of a Messiah who would come through the line of David lived on once again. It was so nearly snuffed out. One of the themes that we see in Kings, and we'll see this over the next couple of weeks, is God's promises will always prevail despite Satan's attacks and despite man's wickedness. His promises will always prevail. And you know what that should mean for us, folks? It should mean that we can live life with absolute assurance that God's word will always come to pass regardless of how evil and broken things around us may become. And in that, we can find tremendous hope. So I close today by just asking, where is your hope? Where's your hope? Is your hope in a political party? Is your hope in the economy? Is your hope in promises from the government that maybe they'll let us celebrate Thanksgiving if we're good? We're a bunch of nonsense. If your hope's in any of that stuff, you're going to be underwater real fast. Is your hope in your health? Is your hope in your spouse? Is your hope in your bank account? Your 401k? Bible says, cast but a glance at riches. For they will surely sprout wings and fly off to the sky like an eagle. Don't put your hope in that. Is your hope in your job? I could go on and on. I close with this verse, Psalm 20, verse 7. Some trust in chariots and some in horses. What does that mean? Listen, back then, that was a symbol of power. You had a bunch of chariots, a bunch of horses, you were a superpower. Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we... We will trust in the name of the Lord our God. Is your trust in him today? Listen, if you don't know him, you may know about him. I know about Winston Churchill, but I never knew him. Big difference. You may know all about Jesus, but if you don't know him, if you've never come to the cross and knelt and repented of your sin and said, Lord, I give you my life. Come in and save me and make me a new creation. If you've never been saved, if you've never been born again, please don't leave this place today. Rolling the dice again. If God is prompting your heart right now, this is your moment. This is your chance. I encourage you when we sing a couple of closing songs, I encourage you, you're welcome to come to the back and speak to me or speak to anyone here. We would love to help you. If you are saved and you're just struggling with everything that's going on, I know it's been a lot to carry, a lot to process. If you need prayer, 
If you need someone just to hug you and encourage you, come see me. If you're a woman and you'd like to speak with another lady, we have that available as well. Where's your hope today? I pray that it's in him. Father, boy, your word is just spot on. These events that happened nearly 3,000 years ago are so relevant to us today. We see the same cycles repeated. People grasping for power. People ruling with a heavy hand. Trying to control everyone. Putting fear into people. And God, what the book of Kings ultimately tells us is that man is incapable of ruling himself. And when your people asked for a king way back in the days of Samuel, they did a dreadful thing because you were their king. Lord, we've got a lot of kings in the world today trying to run the world and tell people what they can and can't do. And I know people are just tired of it. And we look to you, Lord, we pray and we, we ask for relief and we wonder what's going to happen and when we're going to see you move. Lord, I pray you would take us back to the Psalms we read today and help us to know that we can rest in you. We can find our peace in you. While the world around us rages and burns, we can be secure in you. I thank you for that, Father. I thank you for not leaving us on our own to figure this out by ourselves. I thank you for being with us and in us by your Holy Spirit. I pray, God, you would bring a measure of peace and comfort and rest to every person here today, every person watching online. May we all continue to find our hope and rest in you alone. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You've been listening to a broadcast from LifePoint Church in Greenville, South Carolina. If this ministry has touched your life in some way, we would love to hear from you. Just visit our website at www.lifepointsc.org for more information. Or, if you prefer to reach us by letter, you can write to us at P.O. Box 27036, Greenville, South Carolina, 29616, USA. Until next time, may God bless you as you continue to follow Him. of my heart.